Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When Jamie Lynn Sigler learned she was pregnant seven years ago, she was terrified. It's not that she didn't want kids. In fact, she'd always wanted to be a mom. But the Sopranos alum said what scared her was that all of a sudden the reality of what was to come settled in. I started to have these fears of what if he runs away and I can't catch him? What if he needs something and I can't physically be fast enough to help him? Just the idea that I couldn't be the one to protect my child in certain situations started to get really scary. Jamie has MS, or multiple sclerosis. That's a chronic illness that damages the central nervous system. She can't run, and even walking is sometimes a challenge. Jamie publicly revealed her diagnosis for the first time in January of 2016 in an interview with People magazine, the same month that she and her baseball player fiancé, Cutter Dykstra, tied the knot. She credits her then two-year-old son, Beau, for giving her the courage to speak out. Here I am as his mom trying to tell him that you can do anything you ever want and, you know, what makes you unique is special and you should never be ashamed of anything. And then I'm going to ask him to lie for me or keep a secret. And so coming up on this big moment in my life, I thought this time, if any, is the time to do it. On this episode, Jamie talks about how living with MS taught her a lesson in surrender how she almost named her baby the same name as another celebrity's baby who was actually in the same hospital delivering on the very same day. The crazy way she met her doula, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it was on a game show, seriously, and the total party that was her labor and delivery room. This is Me Becoming Mom, where we talk to famous women you know and love all about their extraordinary journeys to motherhood. I'm Zoe Ruderman from People. I was rereading an essay that you wrote for Shondaland recently, and you wrote that it's hard to reflect back on the time before your MS diagnosis and the person that you were, but I'm hoping we can actually go back in time and you can tell me a little bit about that person and specifically what were her dreams of motherhood and how did you imagine being pregnant and having babies? Well, I think MS or not, anyone's kind of dream of motherhood and what your expectations are are always different than what the reality is. Oh, I totally agree. But when you put MS into play, I mean, my entire life looks different than obviously I ever imagined it to be. But with that being said, I actually don't know if I would be the person and mother I am proud to be right now without it. I think we all are given something in our life to push us and make us grow. And MS happens to be my thing. But obviously, you know, I grew up in musical theater. I was a dancer, a performer. And so much of my ins- my instrument is my body. My instrument is myself. And um, to have something 
come into play that gets in the way of that freedom and that artistic expression has been really hard and has been really something that I've had to deal with. And then when it comes to motherhood, the way it limits me and limits what I can and cannot do with my children. Specifically, I have two very active little boys, you know, having to hand the baton over to a nanny or a friend to do a specific activity that they want to do because I can't um, has been hard. I mean, it never gets easier. It's, you know, I want to be they're everything. I want to be the person that does everything with them and to see them off running, smiling and having fun with somebody else because I physically can't do it is not ideal. And it breaks my heart each and every time. Um, but I also have to, you know, it's kind of what happens when you become a mom is, you know, you put their feelings before your own and I have to stop projecting my own feelings Onto them, I can't keep them from doing things just because I want to be the one that does it with them. So I think there's been a lot of extra lessons in motherhood than maybe if I didn't have the MS. Right, that makes sense. And so when you got your diagnosis, what were you told about getting pregnant and caring children? Well, actually, that was a, one of the positive conversations I had when I was diagnosed was that you can absolutely carry and you can absolutely have a very healthy pregnancy, healthy delivery. And in fact, a lot of women feel better during pregnancy. And during my first pregnancy, yeah, I mean, I was taking longer walks than I had in years. I was, you know, up and down our street. We lived in the hills in Los Angeles with my dog. It was a glorious time. It was also a time where because I was still hiding the fact that I had MS and I had had some gait issues, a little bit of a limp, all of a sudden people weren't questioning what was wrong with my walking because I was waddling because I was pregnant. So I just felt this opportunity to kind of relax, not feel so self-conscious, not feel like I had to come up with a story all the time about what was going on with me. It became a time where I was kind of let off the hook, I guess, with all of my insecurities and all of my um, stories that I always had to create in the public. You know, it's so interesting because I talk to so many women who feel the opposite, that they get pregnant and suddenly they feel like they're on display. But it sounds like it was almost like a liberating time for you. It was. And then even people, you know, wanting to, you know, when you're pregnant, everybody wants to help you. They hold the door or they put their hand out to help you move and walk. And normally because of the MS, I would appreciate the gesture, but I would almost get upset about it, that I had to have this help, that I, you know, that people felt like they needed to take care of me. And during the pregnancy, again, it was another moment where I was like, oh, this happens to all pregnant women. So I'm going to invite this now. It doesn't feel extra. It doesn't feel like I'm this special person. So yeah, I, those were things that I enjoyed. <laughs> That's such a beautiful thing to feel on top of being pregnant. That's really special. So let's go back. You said it was about 11 years between your diagnosis and when you got pregnant. When did you start to think seriously about trying to get pregnant and to start a family? Was it right when you met Cutter? Yeah, you know, I think meeting him, we we got pregnant nine months after meeting. And again, it was, we weren't trying to get pregnant. It was an accident, but he was the guy that I was waiting for. He was the person I was waiting for in the sense that he loved every version of me. And he was the first guy where I felt like 
I could be the happy-go-lucky, positive fighter Jamie and also the depressed, angry, why me, Jamie? I had all of those moments and he loved me through all of that. And so that was like, this is the guy that's going to make me feel safe to navigate my journey with this disease and just my journey in life. And so, you know, whatever you believe, I think that the universe kind of stepped in and got me pregnant as quickly as we did in our relationship because he's eight years younger than me. I think I would have talked myself out of, but this can't work because he's so young. Like I'm 30, he's 22. So I always look at it as the universe stepped in and was like, you're going to stay with this guy. And this is, this is your partner. And it was right. I love that. Okay, so tell me about the moment you found out you were pregnant since it was an accident. Was it shocking, surprising? Shocking, completely shocking, surprising. But two of my best friends, one of them being Joanna Garcia Swisher, was also pregnant at the same time. So it was just like, it was shocking, but then also like, this is a dream. This is what I've always wanted was to like go through this with my best friends. And I I remember... Cutter being almost more excited than I was. And it just, it was this moment of feeling really appreciative of my body, which had been a really long time since I'd felt that. I was um, just really appreciative that it was like working and, and healthy. And it was something to look forward to. I think I was because I was also keeping the MS a secret, life just felt like a really big extra fight. And it was something where like, okay, this is a new phase in my life. I don't know what's to come, but I'm excited. I was excited again for the first time in a long time. Oh, that's really beautiful. I also read somewhere that you wrote, despite this excitement and all those positive feelings, you were a little bit terrified about motherhood. Yeah. Can you tell me why that was? Well, I think, you know, as the pregnancy progressed and I think as the reality of what was to come started to settle in, yeah, I started to, you know, envision all the things of motherhood of, you know, running down the beach with my child or, you know, at the park. And I started to have these fears of what if he runs away and I can't catch him? What if he needs something and I can't physically be fast enough to help him? Just the idea that I couldn't be the one to protect my child in certain situations and just feeling like I couldn't be his everything was heartbreaking. But then when he got here, especially, you know, there's a reason Bo was my firstborn. He's like, all he ever wants to do is take care of me. And he's been that way since day one. And so just knowing that, like, he would completely understand like, hey, buddy, mommy needs to sit down for a while. He would shift and be like, okay, let's play Legos. Like he's, he taught me that my disability didn't have to take away from our relationship. He really would adjust and shift still to this day with me in any way that I need. And my little one, Jack, is not so much like that, but that's why I say there's a reason Bo was my first because he taught me to kind of have more acceptance, even myself, for what my situation was. Um, but it really, like I said, it only came gradually as life went on of realizing like, okay, yeah, I couldn't take him in that hike with his class and his friends and I couldn't be the mom to go with the class. But when he came back, he was excited to tell me all about it. 
you know, and we were still able to do our special things together. Wow, there's really a common thread here of you being given like the men and the boys in your life that you needed and that were right for you in that moment. Absolutely. At what point did you start to think about your birth plan and your preferences and what that would all look like? I had the best OB in the world. Her name is Suzanne Gilberg-Lenz, and she is my rock star, and she's the only reason I think that I was able to have the confidence to have vaginal birth, because throughout it all, she was like, you've got this. I've had other patients with MS. There's no reason to think you can't do this. Um, I was induced at 40 weeks because he was a very big baby, and my cervix wasn't moving. The labor was about 36 hours, and I, rem- I pushed maybe for three hours. And I remember about halfway through, I looked at her and I was like, if I'm not doing this right, if I'm not strong enough, like you need to tell me I'm not here to be like, I want to do this right. And I remember she looked at me and she's like, you're doing everything every other woman does. Like you've got this. And again, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have had the confidence because I think, you know, when you live with something with MS, sometimes you limit yourself beyond maybe what your limits even are because you just assume you can't do things. So sometimes it takes an extra voice or an extra person to give you that push. And she was that person for me. You said she had worked with other women who had MS and was experienced in this. So how does MS sometimes affect birth plans? And did you feel like, was there pressure or did you read things when you Googled, like maybe you shouldn't try for a vaginal birth and maybe you wouldn't be able to handle it? And how did you grapple with those two sides of it? I'm actually never research anything with MS because I always feel like it's going to scare me. But, you know, I have weaknesses. I have coordination issues. I don't have sensation in certain areas, particularly in like your private area, there's like a lot of dysfunction there. And so I was worried about like being able to connect, to push properly, anything like that. But MS is such a crapshoot and you never know like when it's going to affect you a certain way or how it's going to affect you and particularly during pregnancy and how I got bigger. I just wasn't sure. And so having her kind of cheerlead me through it all and be like, you're stronger than you think. You've got this. You know, you normally in MS, one of the first things it takes away is your core and your core muscles and your connection to your core muscles. So then again, put on top of that, like a 10 pound baby in your belly. I just assumed I didn't have any control or any, any sense of anything there. Uh, But she made it more about it being like, envisioning and mentally and almost spiritually. I remember she just kept saying, like, push him to the light, like push him out into this world. Don't even think about your body. Just close your eyes and think of him and what's about to happen. You know, it was an experience that went beyond MS. And it was more about you're a mother and this is your baby. Like he doesn't know what's going on and your body doesn't know that. Like this is a very natural experience. And it was an opportunity for me to feel normal. Wow. I love that. What was it like when you were pushing for those three hours? How did you feel? Was it just like the strongest you've ever felt? Yeah. I get really in very high like energy or stressful situations. I get eerily calm. My husband was not. He was like in a corner, 
like hyperventilating. And I had my best friends all around me for both my births. So my, I had two best friends on each side holding my legs. My mom was at the foot of the bed. Cutter was behind me in the corner. And so I just, we had music playing. We were trying to keep laughing. And I just kept listening to my doctor's voice and stayed super calm. And it was the same in my second birth. But any, any high stress situation. It sounds like a party, not a labor and delivery. It was. We really tried to keep it as light and fun as possible. And like I said, if there's any big emergency, like I'm the one you want around to calm you down. <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay. I need to know more about Cutter, who's in the corner hyperventilating. Was he nervous, anxious? Does he not do well with like medical situations? What was going through his head? I, I asked him later, and it's just me. He's always just so worried about me. He was just worried that I was going to be okay. And he's just, he internalizes it so much to the point where like he can't take it and has to kind of turn away. It honestly became a joke after a while where my doctor was like, do we need to get Cutter an oxygen mask? Like, do we need to get him a chair? You know, he's just, he's just that guy. He, he didn't cut either of my kids' umbilical cords, but all my friends did it. Like, he's just that guy that's just, until he knows everybody's safe, he can't relax. It's sweet, actually. It is. It is. Okay, tell me, Bo comes out. Did they hand him right to you? What happens in that moment? Handed him right to me, put him on my chest. And immediately, like, I knew him. It was just one of the most obviously magical moments of your life, meeting your first child for the first time. Do you remember what you said to him, the very first thing you said? I just said, hey, like, how are you? It's me. I'm so happy you're here. Just kind of had that conversation. Like Bo felt really familiar, like I've known him a million lifetimes, and Jack felt like this brand new guy that I was meeting for the very first time. It's really an out-of-body experience, like everything goes away. I've never had that in my life where you're just so hyper-focusedly present as to when both my kids were put on my chest. Wow. So you knew you were having a boy with Bo, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you know his name before going into the hospital? We had our top three, um, which is, you know, when I hear a funny story, one of our top threes was the name Axel. And Fergie gave birth the same exact time as me and named their kid Axel. So it's a good thing we didn't name him or how weird would that have been? Oh, how funny. Because my husband was like, oh, I just saw Josh Jumel in the elevator. Like the dad's like going up back to the maternity ward. Oh, so literally in the same hospital on the same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. That's great. And how did you guys choose the name Bo? We wanted to honor my husband's um, Southern roots. We wanted like a strong male Southern name. And um, we just both loved the name Bo. We kept coming back to it. It was our number one. And then when we met him, his sweet little face, it was just... We just knew. You've talked a lot about the idea of control and how it manifests itself in your life, first as someone who suffered from disordered eating. And then you've said a lot of people who have MS are very focused on what they can control at certain times. So how you balance that sort of lack of control that comes with pregnancy and labor and delivery and then motherhood with, I mean, these are all things that you often, you have to be out of control for. Well, I think it, I think motherhood loosened me up a bit with my control issues for sure because uh, you can com 
prepare as much as you can. You can have everything packed in your diaper bag. You can feel like you are like a warrior walking out that door, like you're ready for any situation and something happens and you don't have the right thing for it or you don't know the right way to calm your baby down or how, you know what he exactly needs. And I think that it really just gave me a hard lesson in, in surrender and just understanding that sometimes I don't have the answers and sometimes you know, we're also not going to always be our best and we're be able, we're able to be forgiven for that. Um, I think through all the stages, you know, with him as an infant, then to him being a toddler, um, we both became a lot um, looser in our ways. And I think that it's benefited me for sure. I love that. That's interesting. One of the women I spoke to for this podcast was Sean Johnson East, the Olympic gymnast, who's been really open about eating disorders and abusing her body and how pregnancy brought all of that to the surface. Did that happen to you? Did you have to go back to your therapy or think about disordered eating when you got pregnant? I don't know if it's because of MS or not, because I know, you know, when I suffered from an eating disorder, it was tragic and dark and I didn't see a way out of it. But I have never felt any of those feelings again about my body. I, you know, even when I've gained weight, lost weight, I, I look at my body differently now. To me, more it's about its ability than what it looks like. Um, I appreciate it more and I focus on it more for health reasons. And I, I think it's because of, of the MS. Um, Honestly, after having my second baby, I got in the best shape of my life. I don't know if my hormones changed or whatever, but I think my focus is more on just being healthy and well for them and for me and what I want to do with my life that I've fortunately been able to kind of release any like body insecurities about its shape, you know? That's really, really nice to hear. So I know you loved your OB. Did you also have a doula? I thought I read about this like crazy story about how you met your doula. Yeah. So we met at a game show. <laughs> I was like eight months pregnant and there was this game show called Hollywood Game Night. And there'd be like two contestants and then three celebrities that would help them. And she was the contestant that I was teamed up with. And Obviously, I was very pregnant. She's like, you know, I'm a doula. And I was like, give me your number. And I just really loved her vibe. And I thought she was really sweet. And um, and so we stayed in touch up until I gave birth. I love that. That is so funny. Isn't that funny? Okay. I want to hear more about, you said there was music. Do you remember what the playlist was? What were you listening to? A lot of 80s music because that's my favorite. Bo was born to a Guns N' Roses song. I actually don't remember which one. And every time I ask my best friend, Nikki, who was there, and she'll remind me, and then I forget. So I'll have to text her. But um, it was definitely Guns N' Roses. Yes, I want to know what it was. That is so funny. And were there tears from you, from Cutter? Oh, yeah, of course. Always tears. Just, I think just also, you know, just so grateful that he was here and he was healthy. What were the few days after Bo was born like? What was it like for you? Specifically, I'm curious, how did your body respond? Were you still feeling that sort of superhuman strength and ability to do everything or did that change? No, no. That's one of the things I think nobody tells you about is just how hard those first few, I mean, you're, 
in a diaper. You've got the ice pack thing. You've got, I had a heating pack on my back. You're still bleeding. It's really uncomfortable. Your nipples hurt. Like these are things that nobody told me about. Like the first few days were really, really, really hard. And I remember even when we went home, I remember my husband and I looking at each other like, why are they letting us go home with this baby? We have no idea what we're doing. Like we struggling to get him in the car seat, but I've never felt so insecure in my life. Totally. You're in like the worst physical shape of your life. And they're like, here, take care of this needy little being that you've never done before. Correct. It's really wild. It's so wild. Did you feel overwhelmed by it? Very, very overwhelmed. Also, you know, hormonal, emotional, crying, like not sleeping. And then when we got home, I had two days with Cutter and my mom, and then they both had to leave. So then I had a baby nurse come because I was alone. Oh, my God. What was it like having your mom and your husband leave so soon after giving birth? Really, really hard. Really hard. Um you know, he had to go finish his season. My mom had to go home because my oldest brother had his engagement party and it was just, you know, terrible timing of it. But between the baby nurse that I had had and my lactation specialist, those were like my two angels during that time because I was also really hellbent on breastfeeding. I was like, I'm going to do this. I've got this. And it was probably one of the harder parts of early motherhood. I don't think also any anybody really talks about how hard breastfeeding is, how stressful it is, how many ounces you're, are they gaining? Like they're, they're constantly weighing the baby. He's not gaining enough weight. Then you feel insecure. You're eating a million lactation cookies. I ended up getting mastitis three times in the first few months of nursing him. One to the point where I went septic. It got so bad. I had to go to the hospital for five days. And it was, and at that point, my husband was like, Jamie, can you please be done with breastfeeding? Like you, this has been the worst thing I've ever seen you go through. You're, you're killing yourself. And even my, my pediatrician, everyone was like, just give him formula. It's okay. You know, I felt like such a failure that I wasn't able to nurse him. And I think there's all this pressure, like, you you know, that's the best way to feed your baby. And I, I wish I was able to talk about it more with people that, you know, I did my, was able my second time around because gosh, these mothers put so much pressure on themselves around breastfeeding. And sometimes it's just not easy and, and that's okay. I remember leaving the pediatrician after one of those like thousand times that he was weighed in and bursting into tears because it was like, I'm going to have to supplement with formula. And it was like, my body should know what to do. And I'm failing him. And this is literally how I keep him alive. But when you had mastitis and you were septic, you had to go to the hospital. I imagine you couldn't bring Bo with you. No, it was crazy. So we had gone out our very first night. We were gone out to like this birthday party. I'd left him home with a babysitter. How many months was he at this point? Three and a half. Oh, so early. Very early. And I remember I pumped before I left and then my boobs started feeling like rock hard. I went to like the bathroom in the party and I was like trying to express them into the sink and like nothing was coming out. And then I started to feel like I was getting a temperature, started getting like shaky. And I said to Cutter, I was like, we got to go home. We came home. I tried to nurse him. Like nothing was really coming out. But at that point, he wasn't really neat. He was ready to kind of sleep through the night. 
And I woke up in the middle of the night in like the worst body ache, shaking fever, and I couldn't move. Like I couldn't even pick him up. So Cutter called 911. They took me to the hospital and they were like, you have mastitis really, really bad. And you've gone septic. Like you, I ignored it, I think, for a couple of days and enough time where I just, you know, I tried to power through it. And it's just, I, again, I think that have, it being my third time, like clearly I just, it just wasn't working out and I was being stubborn. That can be life-threatening. Completely. That's really, really serious. And then I had to be away from my baby for five days, you know, which was, it was terrible. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, that's so hard. But then when I got home and like just being able to feed him the bottle and kind of get in a routine finally, I I was able to realize like what I was doing before wasn't working despite my best efforts. And I just wish I gave myself more grace and an opportunity to just be like, okay, I'm, you know, he's, he's going to get formula and that's okay. I'm not a bad mom because he needs formula. And where in the timeline with your pregnancies and your kids, did you decide to speak openly about your MS? So when Bo is about two and a half years old, Cutter and I were actually going to be getting married finally. Um, and I think it was a culmination of things. Um, he was getting to an age where he was very aware of my limitations. He didn't necessarily know I had something called MS, but he knew that there were things that I could and couldn't do. And um, it was also getting harder to hide. You know, there was, there was, um, I was tired of making excuses and there was a big part of me that was just kind of wanting to step away from this business so that I wouldn't have to lie anymore. But that would also mean sacrificing like what I do and what I love. And my brother had passed away during that time as well. And he was such a big part of my life. And he was somebody that, you know, was such a cheerleader for me. And he would always say to me, like, I don't understand why you keep this a secret. I don't understand why you're hurting yourself. Like, we love you. You're great. You, you've got this. So I think it was all of those things, but, you know, primarily with Bo, because here I am as his mom trying to tell him that you can do anything you ever want and, you know, what makes you unique is special and you should never be ashamed of anything. And then I'm going to ask him to lie for me or keep a secret. And so coming up on this big moment in my life, this celebratory moment after having gone through so much, I thought this time, if any, is the time to do it. I want to come out in a mo- in a moment where I'm like, I'm living life. I'm moving forward with my life. I've had this for a really long time, but here's the truth. And I really didn't know what my life would look like after, but I was ready to ready to see that because I was so... I was also felt so comfortable and settled like with my family and my support system that I I was confident enough to kind of allow myself to, you know, be fully who I am. So when you did go public with your diagnosis after keeping it a secret for 15 years, how did you feel? What were all of those emotions like? Uh, I remember I I woke up the morning knowing that people was going to be putting the story out. And I remember kind of shaking and 
when you hold a secret for so many years, not thinking it's like any big deal to anybody in the world, but like to me it was to hold a secret for that long and now everybody knows it, it's, it's really scary. I felt really vulnerable. I felt really exposed. It wasn't so much even how people were going to react. It was just like, it was almost like this was my life before. Now this is going to be my life after. Like, I don't, I don't know how to be in the world now that everybody knows what I'm dealing with because keeping it a secret also allowed me to kind of live in the state of denial myself, you know? But then I think it was an opportunity for me to kind of really start down this road of self-acceptance, which I've never had. Like I've, if I'm putting this out there, I've got to fully accept who I am. And that means how I move and what I look like. And so I'm still on that road. You know, I'm still learning to accept it. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you always want to have more than one baby? Yes, I definitely wanted to always have more than one. I think growing up with siblings, you know, like nobody understands your family or your life better than your siblings. And so were you and Cutter trying or was it a surprise again when you got pregnant? For this time we were trying because I had to be more specific, you know, to be off medication for a certain amount of time and to to plan all of that. So yes, we were we were definitely more deliberate and again very grateful that it came easy even the second time around for us. I think I had read that you when you found out you're pregnant with Jack, you took five pregnancy tests because you were in disbelief. Yes. Yes. Why did you not believe it after? I can imagine two pregnancy tests, but five? Well, it was my first time trying to conceive. So it was hard for me to believe. And like two weeks prior to that, I thought I got my period. And uh, I was actually in Israel at the time on a trip with some of my best friends and, you know, I was drinking wine, having a great time, just assumed that I wasn't pregnant. So when I came home and my mom was like, I was like, my boobs hurt. Like they're a little big, but I just had my period. She's like, oh, I think you should try again. And when it came positive, I was like, no. So I went and bought like every type of test. Of course. Just to make sure. I love this idea of you just going like, you're like, four is not enough. I need one more, a different brand to say. Yeah, let me just make sure. I feel like if it's five, then it's for sure. Yeah, that's really funny. You said that with Bo, the pregnancy was great. You felt physically better and less so with your pregnancy with Jack. So tell me about those nine or 10 months. How were you feeling emotionally and physically? 
Well, I gained more weight with Jack, so I think I was definitely slowed down a bit more. But yeah, I had a toddler, right? A three and a half year old. So I was, you know, having to take care of him and run around with him. And so it was, uh, it was just a different experience. And did you have a similar birth plan that you wanted to do it with low intervention, vaginal? Yep. Same thing. Same birth plan. Were you induced again? I was induced again because he was also almost a 10 pound baby. And I like I was having contractions, but same thing. Like my my cervix wasn't kind of reacting as much as my contractions were and everything. So it was induced again, called my same team, my friends. Uh, Cutter was a little bit better this time. Did you have the same two best friends, like one at each leg again? Same two best friends and then two extra that were were out of town the first time that were now in town this time. The only thing we didn't have was our moms this time. My mom was going to fly in after. And was it a party again? It was a full-on party. It was a full-on party. We were there to have a good time. We were ready to meet Jack. Um, It was much quicker this time around. I called the nurse in and I was like, I think he's coming. She's like, okay, honey, I don't think you, it's all right. Let me just look. And she looked, she's like, oh yeah, his head's coming out right now. Oh my God. So it was fast. Yeah. Yeah. So thank God my doctor was right next door. As soon as she came in, she's like, give a push. And I did. And out he came. Wow. What a difference from three hours of pushing. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Tell me about the moment that they handed him to you. It was just, all I kept saying was, who are you? Who are you? He looked exactly like Bo. Like everyone kept calling him Bo 2.0. They're like, Jamie, your jeans are so strong, blah, blah, blah. But then a couple of weeks later, I don't know if you can see pictures of my son, Jack, now. He is blonde, blue eye, looks nothing like me. He's a clone of my husband and Bo is a clone of me. So funny. It's so funny. But yeah, he's a different baby and ha- was since day one. He's been another lesson to me um, in patience and in understanding like I thought I had it and I was ready to kind of mother the way I did with Bo. And he's a different guy and he requires different things from me. That's really special. And tell me about that postpartum time with Jack and how it was different from your time with Bo. I just knew to be more graceful with myself. Um, I had my a different set of issues. I had like a weird rash reaction, a lot of like weird different things, but oddly breastfeeding for Jack was no problem the second time around. Did you consider not breastfeeding at all because of yes. three rounds of mastitis? Yeah. I, I remember Cutter had actually said to me, he's like, I need you to promise me something. If in the first few weeks, this is hard, I'm not letting you do it. Like I'm not. Are we and I was like, yes, we had we already had like four different types of formula prepared in the cupboard. Like we're well, I'm totally understand I will not do that again. Um, but it came so easy with Jack. I mean, he was 16 pounds by three and a half weeks. Did you feel like amazing? I felt like every time my baby gained an ounce, I was like, I did that. That's my body. <laughs> When he gained four pounds in like two weeks, I was like, oh, I'm killing it. Like it was the best. It's the best feeling. The best. And he was my big boy. And it was, it just felt, it felt so great. Um, But then I had to stop on four months to go back on my MS medication. And that was really hard for me because I'm like, you know, I'm 
things are finally like going smoothly. Like it's all all happening the way it needs to. And of course, like something's got to come in to like halt it. But I'm learning that that's motherhood for you. You're like, I've got it. I figured it out. Whether it's like nursing or sleeping or solid foods. And then it's like, nope, everything changes constantly. Correct. I was going to say, but that's just life now. So I've just got to, I've got to surrender to it. I love that. I'm curious what you would tell other women, whether they have MS or are going through something or have some physical situation where they've been told like pregnancy, delivery, motherhood is hard, but you might have an even harder time. What advice or what would you share with them? I think that um, everybody is dealing with something extra. Everybody has another hurdle to climb. You're not alone. I think the more that you reach out this is not something that's meant to be done alone. Motherhood is, you're meant to have a village and whether that village is your best friends, whether that's people you meet online in a Facebook group, whatever it is, um, it doesn't make you less of a mom and it never will. And that there's many ways to go around any limitation that you might have, but that you're not alone. And like I said, we all have something, but um, being just being a mom and loving your kids is more than enough. Okay, remember that part of the interview where Jamie said she invited her best friends and her mom into the delivery room and that Bo was born to a Guns N' Roses song, but she couldn't remember which one? Well, I had to know, so she texted her friend for me, and her friend confirmed it was Don't Cry. Seems like as good a song as any to enter the world to. Jamie's party in the delivery room helped her get through 36 hours of labor, and having a playlist was key. That had never even occurred to me to make a playlist for my son's birth. I just figured if I needed music, my husband Chris and I would just figure out in the moment what to play. But it's such a great idea, and it's one that a lot of people have. In fact, somewhere I read that something like 70% of women create a birthing playlist. Well, get this. A New York-based OBGYN named Jacques Moritz worked with Spotify to create what he calls a scientifically designed playlist to help alleviate the anxiety of labor. It's designed to accompany the mom from that first contraction to the moment that she meets her baby. It begins, appropriately, with the track Just Breathe by Pearl Jam. Oh, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands, the ones I love. The playlist keeps going with music that can help regulate breathing, it can keep you company through the night, and welcome a new day. Sunrise, sunrise, looks like morning in your eyes. But, but just like labor, the music starts to pick up when you don't necessarily expect it. There's Maps by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, love that song, Wake Up by Arcade Fire, and Starlight by Muse. And then there are the songs with some not-so-subtle messages. Don't Panic from Coldplay, Try from Pink, and Under Pressure from David Bowie. And finally, finally, a string of songs to bliss out to after the little one arrives, culminating with Bach's cello suite number one in G major. Hospitals, particularly delivery rooms, can be pretty noisy places. All the monitors and the machines going off. I will never forget the constant beeping. 
And then there are all the people coming in and out of your room. It's a lot. A good playlist, says Dr. Moritz, can help distract moms from all of the sounds and the interruptions and really keep the focus on the task at hand. And the right music can even help manage fear and pain. Eyes wide open, naked as we came. But here's the thing. With a running time of only two hours and nine minutes, and compare that to the average labor for first-time moms, which lasts 12 to 19 hours, you'll either need to be okay with hearing the same songs a few times or bring along an extended playlist of your own. Also, let's be real. Every delivery is so different. Everyone's taste in music is different. And what might work for some women and what might be deemed scientifically designed for giving birth might not work for you. So I would recommend listening to the playlist before you commit to it and having it be your birthing soundtrack. Or you could just do what I did and put it on while you're cooking dinner. Hey, it has some good songs on it. I enjoyed it. You can find it on Spotify by searching for Birthing Playlist. I've been trying. That's it for this episode of Me Becoming Mom. Next week, we have another incredible story. This one from Megan McCain, who has never shied away from sharing exactly how she feels. And when it comes to motherhood, it is no different. I think that sometimes in the media, there's a portrayal of motherhood, which is beautiful and amazing, but it's not always accurate for what the experience at least has been like for me. And my road is like much rockier, much more complicated, obviously like much more medically complicated. This podcast is produced by People in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Andy Cubis, Jason Mack, Brian Rivers, Aliza Sessler, and Suzanne Semeloff. Our executive producers are Lauren Mickler, David Flumenbaum, and me, Zoe Ruderman. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.